All right, here we are, podcast two, week two. How are we feeling? Feeling good. We're back. I got invited. Back. <laughs> yeah. Made it to made episode it back two. Around two. We have a good amount of y'all's questions. Uh, before, but before we get into those, we have the the warm up question. Okay. Are you ready? Who's going to answer first? <laughs> wow, Shelby. In case you aren't watching this on video, Shelby just pointed to herself. No, she obviously <laughs> she pointed to Carly. Um, what? Okay, so just to be I'll clear. I'll take it for the team. All right, so you Okay, okay. I don't even have to go. You've there. been selected for a trip to another galaxy. Your return is not guaranteed. Do you join? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you, you said you were a wanderer earlier the today. Yeah. The just the state of life right now, sure. <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah is there COVID there? You know, I doubt like, it up. Like if, there's, if there's not, then I don't maybe some is. other things, you know. Uh, I don't know, flesh-eating bugs or... <laughs> Unhabitable planets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's no. definitely possibilities. I'm hoping to w meet would, Will Smith. Would you go if there was no nighttime? Wait, what do you mean no nighttime? There's always daytime. Oh, like how it would be I like mean, in I Alaska? Like the sun, so sure. <laughs> wow. I would miss he's commi the stars, He's committed though. no matter what. I would miss the stars. I mean, I, I'm, I'm considering it's probably a tropical paradise of everything. Oh, I could oh. I got you know. You're like, this is my own galaxy. Yes. We're going to. <laughs> it's like my own galaxy within the galaxy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Fair enough. Chubbs? Yeah, I would give, probably give it a go. Same reason for him is like where we're at now, where we've been for the last year. I mean, it'd be really cool to see something new. <laughs> you know? I haven't I left my house in a while. Yeah, I haven't left my house in a while, so it could be a really awesome galaxy. Like maybe there's trampolines everywhere and candy. <laughs> is, 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 you know? is that what it takes for you? Is that what you're looking for? We can organize some trampolines it, here it, if it, we it, need to. I think it's in Shelby's reality, a sidewalk is just one long trampoline <laughs> that she can just Stoop, pass. tumbling passes yes. down the Not sidewalk. Not like clouds or I'm flying. Just... It just reminds me of a dream I had that I was like in a different galaxy and I was like bouncing on this volcano and it was a trampoline and it was lit. <laughs> That's it. We're experienced with these galaxy trips, so I'm for it. I like it. PB, uh, would you go? Uh, yeah, sure, why not? That's a, yeah, sure, why not? I don't know. I think I think because they both take it to such an extreme. I feel like it's really hard to like counter. But I'm, I'm on board for the adventure of things. That's true. I, what I, well, the thing I'm not interested in though is like the uh, the the space tourism that we're gonna see coming out in like the next ten years, like where you get to like go into outer space oh, and, and like then, go around and then like come back. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't want to be in space. I, yeah. I want to land as quick as possible <laughs> yeah. and enjoy my galaxy. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking sun for that travel and... to be very similar to a Star Wars experience. Like, let's get that hyperdrive going. Like, we're Real from quick. A to B quick. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm looking for that teleportation like travel, but like just to get beamed up, like see Earth and then come back down. Like, I'm not pumped on that, but to see something completely different, new reality, new environment, new universe. Why not? That seems fair. All right, you? I don't know. You're way too safe. We've been done. watching a lot of Expanse lately, which Expanse is like. That's why I would go though. So, but yeah, but in Expanse. Expanse, shameless plug is the I don't, best, it's best a, show currently. Going. It's like Game of Thrones in space, which is it's better than Game of Thrones, and it's in space, so it's better. So, but there's, I don't, it's not a spoiler, but there's a lot of different ways you could get to a new galaxy, and I just feel like it's kind of risky. Yeah. You like, gotta risk it for the biscuit. Like it could go well or it could go real not well. You could you could get there and there'd be no right. Not guaranteed to return. But you could return. You could return. Exactly. So there's I'm a one-way like, ticket like, guy. You know, it could go and you could still return. You can still get the best of that. <laughs> 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 so you just need a car. So 
on for the one way ticket. Like, whatever, let's do it. I'm yeah. on that train. I'm on, I'm for it. I'm for it. I'm, I'm undecided. All right, on to um, some, some of y'all questions that came in this week. Thank you all so much for submitting them. Uh, the first question, sorry, it's kind of an awkward transition. We got to switch from intergalactic travel yeah. to yoga. To yoga. Okay. To yoga. Yeah, that, that's, that's the jump we are making. So yes. it was a quick teleportation back okay. to the reality that we live in right. currently. Uh, I'm a new teacher. What do you all first start thinking about when you begin to structure your classes? Mm, so that's a good question. What about, why don't you, why don't you answer that, Colleen, to start it off? Uh, how, how you remember starting to think about your classes in the beginning versus now? Because that's like a 13-year period of time yeah and I think it's testing your memory it too. just changes so much as you teach right when you're a brand new teacher you're so focused it, you're just in survival mode right like mm -hmm. you're I gotta get through this class I gotta get I gotta teach the whole thing and I gotta not cry like I gotta do the whole thing I gotta make it through at least for me it was a lot of survival mode at first um, so it helped me at first to have a really solid plan to know what I was doing when I was doing it so that way all of the maybe anxiety or fear I would had around forgetting what I was doing or blacking out in the middle of class or whatever it was that I was afraid of. I at least felt like well, if I have this sheet of paper, if I know what I'm doing, if I planned it, then it'll be okay and I'll make it through. Even, you know, I can always come back to this. So, so you were writing your classes. I was planning out every class for a long time, like every single class to the T I would write down um, and practice beforehand. So I always, I often taught at the beginning much more peak post sequencing where there was a concept, there was a very, a clear through line about the class and that helped me stay focused as a teacher. I do think it helps me get better at teaching concepts as opposed to just guiding a class. Like it allowed me teaching moments even early on in your career which are hard to find and so that's how I, I started was like a really really solid class plan and I took my notebook with me to like every class and I put my paper down and I you know sometimes you get too attached to it and you go back and check every 30 seconds as if you forgot like the next thing. Um, but that's what I did for a long time, for a really long time. Has it evolved? Yeah, I still like to plan. I, there's, I, find, I think there's a security in planning. Do you like how I, I'm asking these questions because I don't know the answer? I know, it's like I'm you're smirking at me as if you expect me to say something well, I just know, it's just funny because I'm just trying I to... I know, you've watched my process for so yeah. long. Um, no, I like to plan. I feel like in the last year or two, I've relinquished a little control on it. Um, sometimes just because it's required because I don't have as much free time as I used to to plan classes. Um, but I, I do still always kind of have a concept in mind, a transition, a, not always a peak pose, but something that class is centered around. Sometimes it's just like a, a, a thought or an energetic thing, you know, like sometimes I'll teach a class that's literally just about expansion and contraction. Maybe that means the breath, maybe that means with your movement, maybe it's in your spine, that kind of stuff. Um, but I still always, like I, I like to have a plan. I'm not usually like a goal in cold kind of, kind of chick there. What cool. about you? What's yours? I, I mean, you obviously answer this. What about and, yours? And I think Thomas I've talked about this all the time, but uh, I have I planned my first ever yoga class, and I never planned a yoga class after that. So uh, I found that writing things down or being too structured uh, wasn't. It just didn't work for my process because yeah. it didn't allow me to read the room or read the space or teach the people that were in front of me. Mm -hmm. I found that it. I was creating practices that were more of my interest as opposed to practices that yeah. were in the interest of the students. And for those, of you, for those of you that have been practicing with me on Calming Online over the past three months since I haven't been able to practice, you can definitely tell the difference in my classes, or at least I can, <laughs> if I'm teaching Shelby or if I'm teaching CJ or if I'm teaching Eric or if I'm teaching you, mm -hmm. Carling, because 
I teach who's ever there. Yep. Right. So the class uh, that's coming out on Saturday, my vinyasa class uh, that I did with Shelby was like so tailored to Shelby. And then the class I taught yesterday, Wednesday for CJ was just very tailored more towards uh, physically challenging pace mm -hmm. uh, because CJ was in there. And so I was like, okay, I know with CJ I can push this pace yeah. and that's gonna create a completely different experience uh, than the class that I taught with Shelby, right? And so it's, I think it's, it gives me the opportunity to really speak to the people that are in front of me. And also I'm really into trained spontaneity. And I think that uh, it's where I thrive the most mm -hmm. when it comes to teaching. So having to be really tied to one, a, a planned structure of a class that's not the Awakening Yoga Solar Practice or the set, uh, just doesn't because those are obviously like memorized in like mm -hmm. the front back of my mind mm -hmm. and everywhere else. Same place the rap reality. lyrics yeah. are. Um, same place where those rap lyrics, yeah. <laughs> yes. Without a doubt. But I think that is just really part of it for me. So Can you guys tell the difference in his classes since he's been uh, on the IR and teaching from the chair? Like, Can you tell the difference in when, when a class is for you? When a class oh, yeah. is for you. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just like you said, spot on. Like for me, we did a little, we usually do a lot of flow because he knows I like to get into the zone. Um, but we did like a lot of purposeful work rather than. And with CJ, when he's in the class and maybe I'm over in the corner, it's like I should be expecting at least five slow lowers. It's like without fail. You know, it's like it will be there. Um, so yeah. And he talks a lot more when he's not to teaching. And so sometimes we're in things way long. And I'm like, all right, I know there's been five breaths by now. But we still <laughs> we're all growing, right? It's all for yeah, a positive. Whoever did today's vinyasa class, that side plank we held for two minutes at least. On the, the, we had one side where I'm just like struggling. No, dude, that's just your right arm. It's not as strong as your left. That is true. But in the same time, it might be not the case. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Alright, so what do you think about Shelby when it comes to structuring your classes right now? Uh, right now, currently, with no student base in front of me, uh, I do the same thing as a curling does. Is it might be a peak pose or it might be just a concept, like it's a transition. I'm really big on transitions a lot of times, so I might have like a transition from like warrior two to half moon and I'm like, okay, this is going to be the sole thing of my class, this is what I want to get to, so how can I get to them? How mm -hmm. can I make people feel like they're comfortable moving into that transition without feeling like, oh, I rushed them right into it, like first move the thing. Um, so how can you prep and prepare the body accordingly for like certain things like that, a certain type of theme, and then it kind of can overall take over the class, have a generalized approach. What about you, Siege? Uh, I would say that one thing that I would advise new students, or, or excuse me, new teachers, and something that I'm doing recently is finding your own personality within teaching. And that's been really big for me. And what I mean by that is we all have different strengths. And so finding what your strength is, some people are really good at public speaking. Some people are really mm -hmm. good at moving their body. And I think finding initially what draws you to the practice and what you're good at, and then find teachers and people who I remember I, I hit the jackpot. I just honestly, I found you guys on YouTube through a friend. And that was the first time I've ever done like online yoga outside of my guy, Tony from P90. I think that was my guy. I did Don't some Sean T shit too. And that was cool. My Don't mom would do the, 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 the weighted, stuff. she would do like Sammy. the, the uh, no, she'd do the hip hop. My mom was about it oh, yeah. <laughs> with the weights, Sean T. Don't you love that Tony and the entire crew are hitting the yoga in shoes? 
inches. Always, yeah, they're, they're, they're always in, in shoes. They're in the shoes. They're in, yeah. Like with the thick bottoms too. Like it's like Air Force One. <laughs> <laughs> they're really in those. They are. So it's like I'm going from that to, and then I found you guys, and I just really resonated with the way that um, both of your personalities came out with, and also the yoga. Um, practice itself so I literally would watch hours of just you guys practicing and I would be like I kind of like that I'm just gonna make it me mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a sports background I'm really good at audibles and change and if some something comes up unexpected like that just doesn't bother me so it's I like to have that freedom mm -hmm. when I teach and so having maybe one or two thoughts or focus but then I I just let it be whatever yeah. is there, whatever mm -hmm. pours out, however I'm feeling mentally, emotionally, physically at that moment, and that's what you're going to get. And it takes a lot of pressure mm -hmm. off. And so I think the more pressure you can take off yourself by highlighting strengths and being confident in what you're doing, at least in some aspect, mm -hmm. um, it just makes it easier transitions because I think people know what, people don't want you to be right, they just want you to be real. Yeah, I think that's true. What's the That was quote? secretly deep right that there. That was. What's the, the Dewey quote? Uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh -oh. Right? Like, it's important that, that students feel like you, uh, that you're there for them. And so I think when you're teaching, when you first start, it's easy to get caught up in, like, having this perfect sequence or teaching something really complicated or this, like, almost, like, really beautiful choreography when realistically, especially as you start teaching, it's just really important that you are able to teach the people in front of you or that you're able to see your students and not go, get, like, get so caught up in your own bullshit of, like, how do I teach and not and forget about the people who are actually there, like, the community in front of you. Like they had, so figuring out how to be yourself, I think translates and matters a lot more to people even than like as teachers, we maybe want to admit that our sequencing. And how, <laughs> and how do you get that feeling of, or that sense of calmness? It truly is by teaching. Mm -hmm. Like it mm -hmm. is only experience. We can, you yeah. can read anything, you can say anything, but putting the time and hours mm -hmm. in, that's what, that's honestly what it, yeah. what it is. And what you did is a great tactic when you're first learning to teach too, is to watch teachers you like, right? Like yeah. watch their you're classes, successful. listen to yeah. say what they said. You're successful. Yeah, like like wanted, you, you hear things that, that, that resonate with you and then you figure out a way to, you're never going to be exactly like them, but there is an element when you first start teaching of parroting, of regurgitation, and it's not bad, it's just inevitable. But I mean, you do want to be cognizant of how much is straight regurgitation, but that's just how we learn, right? By repetition, re repetition, by repetition. Reptilian. By reptilian. <laughs> <laughs> Going uh, full reptilian. You're full reptilian. Uh, yeah, we just, we learn by, by observing. So I think that's a good tactic. You know, watch classes you like, teachers that resonate with you. You'll probably find parts of that that work with your teaching as it evolves. Because there's only so much you can do in a yoga class. Totally. Yeah, I, there's I, there's not that many yeah. poses, right? Like you're, you like there's like there's a lot of lunges. So many notes, but like you create mm -hmm. your song. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very true. I, I also think one of the most important aspects to begin to understand as you're beginning to teach is, especially if you're going to practice with people, mm -hmm. at the same time, is your speech cadence matching your movement cadence. Mm. I think that it's one of the things that newer teachers can tend to struggle with because there's, as we've done um, a fair amount of trainings recently, there's a big concern with newer teachers to get things right. And so because they're so concerned about getting things right, they're constantly like auctioneering off 
directions and instructions. Yeah, tick and, all the boxes. Yeah, and you have someone in Warrior Two in a Warrior Two hold, and you're just like firing a million cues a minute, like pop, 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 pop. And all those cues can be great, and they could all be the thing that you would intentionally want the student to do. But if they're holding Warrior Two, like just there, and you're like pop, 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 it doesn't really match the energy, the energy of the posture. Even if the posture is challenging, it's still a steadiness, mm -hmm. right? It's 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 kind of like running mile 18 of a marathon as opposed to running a sprint. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more you can create a relationship with your language and the structure of your class, it's going to help you create a compatibility to what you offer that is digestible to students. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's often, that that's something to me that, that people tend to forget about is how digestible is the thing that you're offering. And I think that's part of the reason that I moved away from writing sequences in general is because as I was writing sequences, I was doing things that I wouldn't necessarily say were digestible Yeah. Uh, for a general population of students. And I re quickly realized again after one class that it wasn't going to work. And so <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, I had all this stuff written down. We didn't do because, any yeah, of it. <laughs> yeah, because this is like what one of my favorite teachers loves to do. So obviously I should just add this in straight away. And people like collapsed at like minute 11 and I was like, cool. <laughs> And it was a hot room too, so it's just like sweat flowing everywhere, and it was just you know it was a hot mess essentially. Isn't so. it amazing what you think can get done on paper when you're planning, and you're like, yeah, this will all fit in the class, mm -hmm. and then you get in front of students, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, we're not gonna do any of this stuff. We're gonna do something else entirely. I'm yeah. into that problem. Yeah, you overplan. Like yeah, I when I do try to plan, like I do have a general kind of like outline. Mm -hmm. I'd say is what I'm now doing because before when I tried to like really hit the things, I'm like, wow, I made about halfway through that list. We we did great. You know, like <laughs> yeah. we made we made like a general goal but like you never hit every point that you mm -hmm. put down really yeah. i think it's really easy to over over plan mm -hmm. not, not only with over planning but i think also with what, how would i want to say it I, I like if you're you want to create frameworks that help students move from point A to point B to point C to point D, not just for one practice, but mm -hmm. for a consistent period of time. Because as a yoga teacher, you're not just teaching one class. I think you're teaching a number of classes, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're a full-time yoga teacher back when the world was open, you're I mean, teaching a lot of classes. You're teaching a <laughs> lot of classes. And so it's, it's more about the general progression of things and creating a vocabulary and a relationship between you and your student base that eventually builds up over time, right? So if you've taken Shelby's class, for example, for the last five or six months in the online world, you get a gist to the way that she organizes things with her language. And so you don't, not as much needs to be explained in mm -hmm. the point A, point B, point C. I think I talked about this uh, briefly in the first podcast that we made where the first time I was teaching awakening yoga in a non-workshop setting, it took me forever to get through the A and the B because I was trying to explain things in such an, an immense detail. And now we get through, especially here in the commune world, we get through awakening A and B in like five rounds in, I don't know, eight minutes or something mm -hmm. like that. Like it's, it's, it's very, you know, formulated. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Are y'all ready for question number two? Yeah. Ready. Okay, I'm ready. Cool. What was your process like from transitioning from an office job into teaching full-time or from doing whatever you were doing before to teaching full-time? PB, you wanna go first on this one? 
Uh, yeah, my my transition was crazy. To be <laughs> That's kind of why I prompted you. It was it was uh, insanity. I think is a better a better thing to say. I was working full time and teaching full time, mm -hmm. so I had a forty hour a week job, and I taught fifteen classes a week. So I taught. Um, I think you taught seventeen for a while. No, I taught seventeen to eighteen after Adding. I after it ended. Ah, I jumped quickly up to that number because I had the time, but. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I would teach morning, lunch, and evening, you know, most days. And uh, I would go to work, and then I would sneak out at lunch, and then I would go <laughs> teach, and then I would sneak back and go do work, and then after work, I would go teach, and that was just kind of the vibe and the rhythm of it. It was hectic and busy, and I was probably pretty malnourished and, <laughs> and, and dehydrated. I was about to say underhydrated, which would, be, which would have been incorrect. Um, but it, it was something that I wanted to pursue, uh, but I wanted to give myself an opportunity to enjoy developing as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I think that some, sometimes people put too much pressure on themselves in the beginning of teaching to, uh, to have it be the only thing that they're doing. Yeah. And I think it's nice to ease yourself into that, even though, again, I, I didn't ease myself into it in terms of my time management, <laughs> but I was easing myself into the pressure of teaching. Mm -hmm. And so it gave me the opportunity to fill classes without having to have the financial burden yeah. of the class. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I wasn't as concerned about being a sub because like a lot of the times, let's say I had eight regular classes, but I could, I knew I was going to pick up seven subclasses mm -hmm. during that week. I think that's something you did a ton of, mm -hmm. um, when you first got out here, but, uh, I knew I could pick up like seven subs throughout the week and it didn't really matter that that sub rate wasn't going to be the same as my it regular rate. It was just you. experience. Mm -hmm. And I was just getting out there and getting my reps in. And I think that was the most important thing to me for one to help me actually improve my offering. But uh, for two to see if I really enjoyed it at scale mm -hmm. and that was the most scale because again I had obligations with a lot of the rest of my time. This is a really good differentiation to make too is enjoying it at scale because yeah. teaching one or two classes a week casually is a really different experience than being a full-time career yoga teacher where you're teaching 15 to 20 some classes a week. Just the experience of how you interact with the practice and the world of yoga studios and all of that is really really different. So I think, I mean, some of the best advice that we both got when we were transitioning from, from desk jobs, because we both worked in tech before we um, started teaching yoga, was to spend more time easing into it uh, and to not quit our jobs right away <laughs> so that we didn't have that, um, you know, we could spend time figuring out what it meant to teach before losing the security of, you know, healthcare. Like I didn't even know if I even had healthcare back then. I think you did because because you're. I didn't have healthcare for a number of years. No, though. you didn't. Um, you were on mine while well, I still had the tech job <laughs> most of the time. Just didn't even know. But didn't that's the know. kind of thing. It was like we had a system going where it was like for a long time we were both doing. You know, we were both working full time. I taught maybe seven classes a week. You taught double that probably. And then by the time you were able to quit or got laid off. <laughs> oh, I totally got laid off. By the time you uh, got laid off, you know, it was kind of like a weird blessing in disguise. And then I could keep working for another, I don't know, I think I worked for another eight or 10 months mm -hmm. um, to keep benefits and to figure out how we could make a life work with two full-time yoga teachers, which, you know, it's hard to support two people on an everyday yoga teacher salary. So or salary, what, 
funny word that is as a yoga teacher. <laughs> I think it's just uh, learning how to build into it. I think it's an entrepreneurial job, yeah. meaning that I think you have to find your way into what works for you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and public class or private classes is a part of that yes. equation. Um, but there's many parts to the equation, and so you just want to give yourself the chance to actually see the game mm -hmm. of it as opposed to just uh, seeing the, the external, which is like the studios and the public class. Yeah. Because that's, Thinking that's, like that's the, the only that's channel. The phys, that's the physical world of it, right? I mean, yeah. like I remember, it's so funny, uh, because now we moved back to Seattle a few years ago and we own, own and opened a space here. But I remember when we first started teaching here, and this is actually kind of funny um, because CJ can chime in in a moment. But I was I was like, oh, like once I'm gonna start teaching, like my goal is to teach at some of these really big studios around town, and they would not give me the time of day, but they all gave you the time of day, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and like you got in everywhere that I was trying to, and then like seriously, like I, it it did not for whatever reason, like I, they just would not, mm -hmm. you know. But I I couldn't get that opportunity. Um, well, the I just think the world of in-studio classes, which will be very different when they come back around, um, but the world of in-studio teaching is such, it does turn into such a hustle as a yoga teacher that you're just trying to like make connections, find a studio, find a good home, find a community like, but also that's close to your house and it also doesn't have a long commute and that also pays okay. And so sometimes you just get wrapped up in circles that it does work for you, right? Like you find a studio and they'll give you enough classes and you're like, great, this is my, this is my spot. This is what I'm doing because you're just trying to figure out how to how to exist in this new like ecosystem of it. Cause it is very different than a desk job, right? And mm -hmm. obviously in the requirements, but also in the mindset, right? At a, at a desk job, I spent most of my time like- Filling time. Filling time. Yeah, it's a good way to think of it. Whereas a full-time teacher, you're just kind of wishing for more time to try- and you're to, trying to create it. To try to create it and figure out how you're gonna teach as many classes as you can or when you're gonna fit your practice in. You know, as opposed to a desk job when you're like, well, I did all my work and it's 11 a.m. I guess I'll just hang out till, <laughs> till 5. You know, not that it always happens, but if you're an efficient worker, you may not need eight hours every day. What was your transition, Siege, when you came out here? Or um, you been back in Oklahoma? Uh, let's, I mean, I guess I've transitioned a few times. Because um, I, I guess I can talk about how I went from having a set schedule, people knew who I was, mm -hmm. and then move out here. And yeah. then no yeah. one knows who you were, especially because if you don't have any online... Um, you know, but you got to reintegrate yourself. Didn't mm -hmm. your Instagram get hacked around that time too? Like your first one? I feel like you've had about four Instagrams. I think I have. I think I have. <laughs> There's been, I've tried a few times and like, honestly, I would have like a flip phone. I think if I could, if I could just check the thing, but no one had it. No, I'm just great. It's great. It's, it's awesome to be able to use it to communicate with everyone. And there's gifts and blessings into everything. I mean, yeah. I found you guys, but I would say, uh, organically, let the class like I didn't even count on teaching classes I didn't count on um or teaching a bunch of classes I didn't even know if I was going to be necessarily a yoga teacher I was just interested in the practice and this is something that uh I started to enjoy mm -hmm. and I think that joy just took off and I took any opportunity that I had and I just I just never said no yeah and it's yeah. just kind of just turned into the, those opportunities with more opportunities and I was just myself and I really tried to not put pressure on the end goal but like I really enjoyed hey this is something that I enjoy this is something that I can offer to people and it's in an authentic way that's to me and whoever's going to resonate with it will resonate and that's 
what I continue to take into any space that I'm in. Uh, but I, it does take time and it, there is this big misconception that it's all, you know, good and gravy and roses all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it's, a, it's any other entrepreneurial job. There's shit hours. There's times where it's tough. There's, t there's tears, there's blood, sweat and, and everything. But when you keep in mind what your goal is, I guess, mm -hmm. tying everything back to my purpose is when you understand what your goal is of teaching, um, cause it's okay to teach once or twice mm -hmm. a, a week totally or a okay. month. Like if you enjoy don't ever let the joy come away from it. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I, I think it's easy point. to, it's easy to think I have to make this giant leap and it's like, you don't, you can teach a if couple classes a week and enjoy awesome. Like yeah. You, yeah. you experience that leap, you, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's just, I mean, we all have to, to a degree, but it being able to don't force it. Yeah. It, it honestly, things will come and you'll like, I've moved around different spots. We've thought about opening places here. We moved to LA, <laughs> back here. Yeah. Everything just, when there's a bigger focus and picture, it all just, I feel like it works out. Well, I think you figure out what you like as a teacher, because we were just talking about this before we started recording too, about uh, like the two of you have a different approach to teaching than maybe, maybe Shelby and I do in ways that like y'all would teach as many classes as you could. Right or when we come film, you're like I happy. I just don't think I that's. I mean, you're, but I mean, you're happy to teach any day, any time, and that was your approach when you transitioned to teaching too. You take anything. So uh, I think so that's even my approach currently. I mean, I, that's I, what I mean. It's I, still I saw, your approach. You have joy in teaching at any volume. Like you're happy to teach. You want to teach. It's a. I can't remember you said it well the other day, but it's just something you're happy to just go out and do because you love to do it. Yeah, I think there's. I I don't remember which stand-up comedian said this. I feel like it was maybe like Norm Macdonald or something like that, but they're a stand-up comedian. They like to go out there and tell jokes, like going out to be on the stage and just like, it's kind of something that he was like, dude, I kind of just like grovel through the day. And then <laughs> around 11 PM, I show up at like the comedy store and tell a few jokes. And then I kind of grovel through the evening and then wake up the next day do it again. and do it again. And outside of the groveling, obviously, <laughs> uh, I, I have always kind of seen teaching to be similar to that. Like, mm -hmm. I'd like to go out and do it. And then, especially with people, I just, there's a energy that I get from it. And there's a, uh, a joy to sharing that I think I always appreciate. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, you know, that having that be part of my daily life is something that I, that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it made your transition really natural. Too, yeah. though. No, for you know sure. I, mean? I think it can. I think for anyone, if you can maintain that sense of joy, whether you're teaching one or two classes or a bazillion classes, figuring out where you lie on that spectrum to be able to maintain the joy and and like the passion for teaching is really important to making that transition. Because if you run like full steam ahead into a ton and you're not that person who wants to teach a million classes a week, then you're gonna lose. Then you know it's, yeah. it's gonna. I mean, I mean you, know, you weren't as happy when you were teaching 15 times a week like that's kind of no. above the amount that you want to teach yeah it totally is yeah right and so that's so why you get to work into other things mm -hmm. yeah. but Shabs, what was your transition like because you were working in a pt office true yeah i was working for at a pt office but then i also uh taught just every now and again i had like a couple classes on the schedule and i really only taught with one base studio um, I bounced around because I had started at one and it wasn't an awesome fit for your girl. <laughs> just some disagreements there and just didn't really feel as comfortable. Um, but so you, I found some teachers that I just liked and they were like, oh, you, can you teach? And I was like, yeah. And so we just kind of started to, yeah, essentially just kind of rolled with it. And then I started actually also doing personal training and uh, stuff at a different gym. So I was doing all three kind of at once. And then I let the PT go and then I kind of transitioned to more full-time yoga teaching. So I took like six classes on. 
Um, and then I had several classes at the gym. Those were just like 30 minute classes all the time or personal training clients. Um, and I always found the joy in it because I was only teaching around six classes and they were all within the same week. And so for me, it grew me as a teacher too, just because I would take some classes and I would like rework them for different types of classes. So um, I really got to expand kind of my knowledge there. Um, and then it just like it happened where after those kind of pieces unfolded, I had like quit enough jobs and then I was like, I'm gonna sign up for a training. And then I went to Bali with these, fool with these fools. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just kind of progressed from there, you know, it's been a really <laughs> expedited and quick journey. As you can tell, we've really gotten close. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then from there, I just knew, like, I knew when I, the trainings came, like, every time I did training, like, I just felt like it was right. It was just, like, mm -hmm. at the right time, pieces had unfolded, and it happened. And so I talked to Patrick at a training I had gone to back in Oklahoma, and I was like, hey, I think I want to take the 300. And then I came, and then opportunities opened, and doors opened, and here I said I took you at the mall studio. Dude. Yeah, you did. You took me. I was, like, a little, a little shopping mall, essentially, with this <laughs> little small yoga room where... I mean, the max students I had was around 10. I mean, like, it was a pretty small, select group. Um, so I really got to know the community really well. And <laughs> I could tailor my classes accordingly because I had the same student base and the same thing. Um, so things have really grown the more I've gotten to just teach different realms of people. And now just being from Oklahoma to here, even that's just a different type of transition in itself. Uh, not that there's nothing wrong with Oklahoma. I love my Oklahomies. <laughs> it's just there's just a whole different world and yoga here it really feels like there's like foundations like people really love it and they find like the practice not just the movement itself um but like what yoga is outside of that like people really commit and they come here to like take yoga serious and it just really kind of brought more joy actually mm -hmm. to me because you had like a whole community that was really just about yoga and you're like this is awesome so um that's kind of how mine unfolded it was a very quick expedited journey but here i am yeah. <laughs> and real quick no one like really is set on for the rest of my life. I want to teach twenty six classes. Yes. What was like, the most you did teach though? Yeah. What's I your record? Twenty seven in one in week. One week. In one week. Wow. The two. And those weren't like those weren't like normal classes. This was an abnormal. Uh, well, circumstances happened, but an abnormal thing to where I took a ton of subs. Yeah. And like subs that I forgot about that I took, <laughs> and I had and I'm shuffling around, but it was it was six seven nine every it was like six seven nine three days a week in the morning i would always teach the noon uh across the board someplace you can catch me in the city uh and then evenings and i would just i again i did not care i would teach to a brick wall i was just whoever's in my class wherever i was at that's just what it was but my point is don't feel like you have to be stuck. There's some seasons in your life where you're teaching 20 classes a week. Mm -hmm. There's some seasons in your life where you're teaching two or three. There's some where you're online mm -hmm. and yeah. you don't have students. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but like, be okay with that evolution because it, it truly, teaching that many classes has grown me in ways that can't be offered other than experience the mm -hmm. same way with teaching to know students online, uh, to teaching at commune, being full of there. So like, it's okay to have to evolve, I guess, mm -hmm. in your stage where you're at. Complete yeah. change. Very true. Yeah. And even just to elaborate on that, uh, beginning to find the mix that works for you, and even like stepping on something that you said mm -hmm. a little bit, like finding the spaces that you feel comfortable teaching. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you said, like one of the first studios you taught at, for whatever reason, it wasn't a fit. Like we've all been there. Mm -hmm. I mean, like this. The, We've all been the, there. The, yeah, <laughs> the, second, the second studio that hired me, like, it was not a fit. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? It, it, like, when I first started teaching, like, it, we were, 
Like we, it just wasn't a good vibe mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Like there was no animosity or anything, but it just it just didn't work. And mm-hmm. and so again, like you finding your way and your time teaching in a gym clientele, like there's zero things wrong with it. Like, that's mm-hmm. actually awesome because it gives you a different perspective on the type of person that's coming and wants to do these types of movements totally. and breathing practices and things like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Are we ready for question number three? It is a pose-related question. Oh, we got a specifics. A specifics. You can get as anatomical as you choose. All right, we're going to talk about bow pose. Um, rather than rising the chest, so what the student is talking about, and I'm, English is definitely their second language, which is all good because we respect everybody being part of our community, and thank you so much for taking our classes uh, that aren't in your, your native language and, and being very part impressive. of it. We are always very impressed. impressed. <laughs> Can't lie about that. So what essentially they're talking about is bow pose. They have long arms, long legs. They're getting good hip extension. And from this, it sounds like good movement through the lower back, mm-hmm. but the chest is close to the floor. They're having a hard time getting that chest lift. What do you think might be? So like be? they're dive bombing down. They're kind of dive bombing, like feet are high, mm-hmm. knees are high, chest is low. So it's kind of like a like a skydiving thing. I mean, I think a big... I have no idea if that's an accurate reference to yeah, skydiving. From all the skydiving that you've done here in your life. I was just visualizing Charlie Sheen in Terminal Velocity, which I don't Terminal even... Terminal Velocity? What's that? It's a movie from like the 90s, dude. You weren't into action You don't feel like there's so many other skydiving movies? Drop Zone? Well, what about Point Break? Point Break is a semi skydiving but movie. But they skydive in I it. I would say it's more of a surfing movie. I would definitely say surfing. Movie. Thank you sure. so much. But a Charlie Sheen? Scott, uh, Point Break just really reminds me of Animal Kingdom. Can't wait for it to come back. <laughs> I just think of Anthony Kiedis, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's in the he's, OG one. Yeah, he's he in is. the OG one. I guess I just wasn't I kind of like, to be honest with you, I used to watch the the Point Break remake on the no, plane. You watch it on the, the plane time. every time we go the, somewhere. It's a great plane it's movie. It's always like, on the plane. Yeah, if, if you have to watch a movie on a plane for whatever reason, Point Break is a really good plane movie. I don't think I could pay attention to it not on the plane. <laughs> I think it's because the dialogue is so bad that, and the action scenes are so cool that you're just kind of like, oh, like you don't really have to be paying attention. You can kind of be like looking at the screen of the person in front of you and looking at the screen of the per- when you can travel again, of course. To the person we, over there. You really miss the plane, don't you, right now? Well, I miss going places for sure, yeah. But, <laughs> but I guess you know, that was just a quick, quick moment on point break before we talk about bow pose. Okay. So here's what I think on <laughs> Bobo. I was going to rein my thoughts and back Terminal in. Velocity. Which, again, Starring I don't Charlie know what Sheen. that is. I've never seen that movie. I, I honestly don't even remember anything about that. I've never even heard of that months. movie. <laughs> okay, hold on. So Bopo's. In, so what I'm thinking in that is it's more of an issue of where the action is going, like where the effort is, as opposed mm-hmm. to like necessarily the mechanics of the posture, especially in something like bow, where if you can reach the grip, you're kind of locked into the shape in some, like however it shows up in your body, but where you put the action and emphasis is gonna change where the tension goes along your spine. It's gonna change how that arc moves, and it's also gonna change how the physical body like presents the aesthetics of it as well, right? So if someone's kicking straight up to the ceiling, like as a teacher, if you're cueing people to kick straight up, then most likely the chest is gonna go the other direction, as opposed to the way I prefer it is to pull the shins back, to kick back, and at the same time to pull your chest forward in the other direction. So that way you're almost trying to spread the tension out across the entirety of the spine. So you're getting like one big bow, like literally like a bow and arrow. Again, speaking not from experience, because I've never shot a bow and arrow, but I assume that you need 
the right amount of tension in order for the arrow to fly. And it's the same kind of thing there that we want the tension to My be My grandpa even. got me one for Christmas <laughs> when I was in fourth grade. <laughs> in fourth grade? Yeah, and I had launched arrows at my sister for like, it snowed one day and we were playing Robin Hood. We were, I wasn't just aggressive. We were just like launching arrows around at snowman. And then my mom realized that they were steel tipped and that got pulled really quick. <laughs> seems a little risky for a fourth grade boy. <laughs> Dude, I mean, it lasted about a day. Let's be honest about that. But <laughs> got a, Kim, a stern reprimand Mama, from Kim Beach. <laughs> Mama Kim was on top of it. No, I think grandpa got the stern. The no, stern. that's what I meant for yeah. she reprimanded grandpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dude. And then I think Grandpa just got us train whistles for the next, like, <laughs> For the rest of your straight. childhood. That ruined gifts for yeah, a while. It really did. I think it was just, like, I remember, I remember having about five in my room, just, like, huge wooden train, train whistles. whistles. Safer. Yeah. Yes, safer. Anyways, back to, back to Popo's, because I'm <laughs> Everyone's really, getting delirious I'm here. really turning this all over the place. No, I think that's okay. I, I, that's my take one, on it. One I, one think I think it's about the action, not like that there's something necessarily wrong with the mechanics. It's just putting the effort in the wrong place, because you kind of can't help but effort in that pose. Like, if you, have, if you catch and you kick, it's working somewhere, but we can be intentional about spreading that across and moving. It's, it is that, like, chest goes forward, shins go back, so that it's not about getting, like... I personally don't like the Bikram version of it where feet go up, hands go up, and you're trying to make that teardrop shape. It's going to be really intense on the low back and probably not going to have it, that nice even spread across the spine. So like I usually also, spend more... Also, available. Well, yeah. I mean, for like 99.9% .9 of people. Yeah. So I just, I think about the action as, as moving forwards and back and not necessarily up is how I think of it. Is that, how do you, how do you mm -hmm. guys think of it? One of the things that I think about in this example is that while the student is probably pretty rangy with hip extension, mm -hmm. they may do majority of their back bending from their the hips. hip extension and from the lower back. Mm -hmm. And that may have subconsciously limited their shoulder mobility and shoulder movement in general. And so they could be really tight through the chest and the front shoulder. And when they kick back, the arms are essentially locked in place, at, but the legs have the capacity to move. And so the legs are filling into the area that they can. This could also mean that the student is uh, a bit more active in their hamstrings than they are in the glutes, meaning that they are really working through the hamstring and the leg, but they're not as good at driving the hips down with the glute activation to keep the pelvis as the foundation. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine from just visualizing this example that the front rib is kind of the foundation. Yeah, everything's for, dipping forward. Yeah, for this posture for the student as opposed to the front hip. Well, I certainly think that, like you said, if you have a lot of movement in, in your hips in general, uh, and that's where like backbending comes from, right? You can kind of mm -hmm. backbend from your spine, which is where we think we're all backbending from, but it's usually not 100% the case for your hips or your shoulders. So if they really have most of that movement, you know, down in their lumbar and in their hips, then when you tell them to do bow, when you tell them to kick, they're just going to kick where they can, right? Like mm -hmm. the body finds the path of least resistance. And if that's where the space is, then that's where the movement's mm -hmm. going to go. Um, so that definitely could be just like a natural predisposition that they're going to have to work hard on to go the other direction to yeah. find some engagement. I think it's, I th it feels, like one of those moments where you're trying to create a better relationship between what you think you're doing and what you're actually mm -hmm. doing. And the fact that this question even come up, came up means that you're asking those important questions, which is uh, a really good place to be. Anytime that any of us 
first start to construct poses in our body, we're always visualizing somebody doing that pose, but that somebody is most likely not yourself. It's most likely somebody that you saw on a picture of, whether that's one of those old school yoga photo books or something from Instagram or anywhere else. And you're like, oh, I'm catching my feet with my hands and most of my thighs are off the ground. I must be doing it correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not about correct or incorrect, but it's about personal organization and beginning to find awareness around uh, these, the places in your body where you have space versus the places in your body where you feel a bit more limited. And how can you work into those limitations with awareness so that it begins to open up more portals for movement? Mm -hmm. I'd say, and especially for someone like me, who's definitely tight my shoulders and, and bow pose, I know and that. Hips and, and hips and everything. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just going to pick one. Come on. Come on. Hey, I'm, I didn't have to have everything called out. Hey, on, honest, open, transparent, I'm a team out friend. there. I need a, tw I need a Twitter hashtag. I need to get Twitter first, and then I need to have a hashtag. Uh, but for me, also, going back to it, um, all those points that you both made and, and just realizing where you're at in the practice, there's mm -hmm. some days where locust pose actually does me better because yep. I'm actually needing that type of opening instead of just finding an aesthetic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Shubs, for you, someone that's naturally rangy through the hips and rangy through the spine, what do you feel in the difference between like a locust pose and a bow pose with your focus? Uh, focus in my locust pose, ironically enough, is not about lifting into more of an arch, I guess you could say. I really try to focus on trying to pull my belly up in a way to really kind of stabilize through my spine, to anchor through my hips and find more length. So I'm still engaging through the back body, but I want to think the whole back body is trying to do one piece. Whereas like sometimes I will feel like my back will lift me or my hips will lift me. And I do struggle with a little bit of tension there in my low back or something like that. So I really tried to, what Carling said, disperse that tension. So mm -hmm. it's not just if like one day I'm feeling it kind of tightness in my shoulders. Like I just reorient and readjust instead of kicking straight up today, I'm going to stick with kicking back as like just a prime goal or focus. So I'd say like in both locus or bow, um, bow I'm focusing on dispersing out, but I'd say the same thing in locus, I'm focusing on dispersing out instead of lifting up uh, like the teardrop or anything like that for yeah. most, most of my things. That's where I do think of skydiving is in locust, right? It's yeah. like, I, again, I have not skydived, right. skydove. I have never skydived sky before. Dove. I don't know the right, oh, yeah. uh, the right tense for that. But I do imagine that like, and I, you know, a student said this cue in one of our 200 hours years ago. I can't remember, let's see it was Bo. Anyways, it was a really good cue and I remember thinking, oh, that's great. And if it was Bo, that's a year yeah. ago. No, really? Yeah, dude, that's last Feb. Okay, so maybe we're, we're in a poor in this portal. We're right in another now. dimension, yeah. another galaxy maybe already. We, we are <laughs> we're already there. <laughs> back. I think we're already there. We're those trampoline <laughs> sidewalks, dude. Oh, okay, yeah. well, if it was Bo, there's your credit. If it wasn't, I apologize. Someone one time said this cue in a teaching practicum, and I was very impressed because I thought it was a really good example of that feeling of like buoyancy mm -hmm. of lifting the whole body. So it's not just I'm trying to fold myself in half or do because. Locust is a back bend, but it's more a back strengthener, mm -hmm. right? It's a posterior chain strengthener. And so it's not its not meant to be a big pose. It's meant to be a strong pose. And I think of it as like that, that rush of air that I imagine is underneath you when you're skydiving to kind of lift you up, but in all pieces at once, right? Yeah. Like everything is levitating, not just one or the other. We're trying to mm -hmm. in one piece. Definitely if I feel like I'm getting too much like hamstring strength or glute activation, mm -hmm. like I will feel compression more in my lumbar spine or my low back, like it will happen. I can achieve the posture, but it's not feeling as good in my yeah. body. Um, so we're just trying to distribute that to not just feel like I'm only using my legs, mm -hmm. like to really feel like everything's working together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome.
like it. Cool. Last question of the day. Are y'all ready? Yes. Okay. Uh, I wonder if you guys could speak about how you managed to find time for self-care and recovery. Yeah. Uh, so there's kind of two questions that came up about that this week. And so I think it's a good space to combine some of this stuff. So one was in related to their handstand practice and when, she, like, should you take days off? What's your recovery pattern with handstand? And then the second is more around, uh, which is but it's similar, is like, how do you find time for self-care? Um, and like, what would maybe be a, a self-care ritual that you may have? What do you guys, what's your self-care ritual? I can even go first. I have all, like, <laughs> this, I was gonna say, say, this, this could be a podcast. Your yourself, dude. I have, like, <laughs> all the tools at home. So I have, like, the Soat, the so right thing that Soaz released. I have unlimited blocks. I've got balls. I've got foam rollers. I've got all the things. And then a nice, even just sofa, putting your feet up at a 90 degree mm -hmm. and just taking a little cruise. You can put some podcasts on or a movie or whatever you need to. But like I use like my night times or early mornings, like before getting the body moving or at the end of my day. I mean, it doesn't have to be a super intense long time. You could spend, you know, if you have 30 minutes, great. I think that that's really awesome. But if you have just 10 minutes, I mean, just a 10 minute, just even just a little bit of movement, like finding just a little bit of mobility or utilize, utilizing your tools and your balls and your <laughs> things uh, to do just kind of some rolling out. It helps kind of release just tension through your fascia, which holds your muscles. And I just find for me, I have to do it every day. So it's not like a specific day I do it. It's more like I kind of find the maintenance, even if it's maybe 10 minutes one day and I get 30 to 40 minutes another day, um, trying to find just little bits and pieces throughout the day. Even if it's like you're sitting at a desk and that is your job, I mean like just taking five minutes out of that day mm -hmm. to just kind of like do some neck rolls, do some shoulder rolls, because you're like in a position like this all day or one of the things or the other. So um, yeah, I just say find all the things, like start to accumulate like a basket of all of the your self care basket, your self care basket, <laughs> straps, blocks, blankets, um, and just one of the most favorite mm. postures ever is literally just like legs at a ninety. I promise mm -hmm. you guys, like that will make you feel really zen and relaxed for your off days. <laughs> I think we can all attest to that yeah. one. But oh, um, yeah. I, I would say mine is mine's kind mm -hmm. of it's it's off of yoga, but I I don't necessarily tie too much to it. But I like to run. On my off days like it's not I don't go for I'm not trying to beat anybody I'm not try, I'm not no marathons no nothing it's just me it's my time and it kind of helps me release not only mentally but just a lot of the stress that you know teaching a lot of classes and stuff it just it really helps kind of just open up the body and uh, I've tried to be doing a little bit better at at some supplementation um, making sure I'm first and foremost just something as simple as drinking enough water mm -hmm. <laughs> and then straight up and uh yeah you know, well i gotta shout out my guys at saints so <laughs> other than that I, I do like to use cannabis a little bit in a healthy way so yeah what's yours Kyle? sorry i'm choking <laughs> <coughs> you might want to put a pause there nope you're good we're leaving the game <laughs> we're going the distance i don't know what i got in my mouth <coughs> i'm sorry hold on while she is taking this moment I will say <laughs> I will say one more tidbit thing just to say like for someone who's working on like a practice and I would just say listen to your body ultimately mm -hmm. I mean like if you're feeling just a day I know there's days that I'll walk I'll wake up and I'm like wow you know like I might move a little bit today but it might be one of those 10 minute days but mm -hmm. my body just hurts or I'm sore you know I've done a lot of movement you know throughout the week and I just listen to it you know mm -hmm. I don't try to push past it push to it it's just kind of like 
listening because your body will tell you if it's like you're worn out and like your handstands were excellent on day one and then tomorrow comes around you're like they are nothing the same like take it for what it is don't beat yourself up about it and then just kind of like okay i'm gonna just not focus on maybe doing it for as long today mm -hmm. or types of things like really moderate maybe turn on that mellow morning yeah <laughs> <laughs> or that everyday mobility yeah, or the mobility either one you know they're gentle they're small I think for me, when it comes to recovery stuff, my favorite thing is saunas and cold Ooh. showers or cold plunges. Like sauna mixed with the cold is like a perfect blend. Helps you feel so amazing. Uh, but again, one of the things that I really miss doing uh, since getting injured is not being able to go cold plunge. Like I do it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I go in the Puget Sound, and if you know how cold that is here, you know that's pretty hardcore. Like even going in Lake Washington in the winter isn't hardcore enough for me. Like I need that, <laughs> I need that 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 frigid. You know, you're like too shocked to your system. I may not survive this. Vibe. <laughs> Um, but it, it, feel, it feels amazing to me, um, and it just kind of flips the script on everything. It's kind of like I feel grateful after coming out mm -hmm. of there. It's like, hey, we made it through. Mm -hmm. We made it through the journey of it. Uh, it's actually something I really started hunting opportunities to do after I spent a lot of time, um, not a lot of time, but like four days or, or so, maybe about five years ago in Greystones, which is a small coastal town in Ireland. And uh, with a few friends of mine, uh, Dave and Z from The Happy Pair, and we would just go like cold plunge with them every morning. And I am not a morning person, but they are morning people. And so, um, you know, we'd go do like a little training session and then we'd go into the water around like when the sun would rise. So maybe that was around like seven-ish. Uh, but they'd be, you know, getting up and we'd be meeting them around six to, you know, goof off or whatever and then go jump in. And for me, that would be like going to bed around like one or two and then <laughs> waking up to go to Jumping in the North Sea <laughs> Yeah, dawn. jumping in the North Sea and it was, it was a vibe. Um, but th that really opened my eyes to just how much joy I found in that experience mm -hmm. and um, how it was a really good reset for me and how it was something that I could just like find my way to on a, on a regular basis. And so it's something we've actually been doing a bit recently with the cold showers and the saunas. Mm -hmm. um, having that opportunity is really nice. And I don't know, I think it just gives you, I, I also have just like really simple poses that I try to do every single night. Shelby's talked about one, which is just like that 90 degree leg lift, legs on the couch. It, it really is one of the biggest game changers um, for you, especially if you do a lot of strength stuff in your practice, it just really allows the body to relax. I also really enjoy um, kind of like more supported or upright child's poses that feel like a blend between child's pose and frog. Mm. I find a lot of relief in those kinds of positions. And uh, yeah, you go for it and then I'll talk about recovery as it relates to handstand because I have some thoughts on that I... as well. I actually don't know if I'm like that great at self-care when I think about it. There's things like I, I love the sauna. Patrick's parents turned their shed um, in their yard into a sauna with a allegedly. Cold... <laughs> allegedly. What do you mean allegedly? Allegedly. Like it could be there. What? Is this a secret sauna that I just blew up on the podcast that I didn't no, know? No, it's just that it's allegedly there. Oh, 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 like from a permitting standpoint. It's allegedly there. It's alleged. There's a, there's a potential <clears throat> secret. Allegedly. Alleged sauna yeah. at the beach residence, which... I feel very lucky to have access to sometimes um, and they will watch Harv and we can go sauna and I do find that that plus the cold showers 
makes a huge difference in just feeling like rejuvenated. Mm -hmm. But on a day to day basis, the more I think I, I think that self-care just means different things based on what your life entails at that moment. So for me right now, self-care often is like doing different kinds your of self-care exercise. is more active, right? Yeah. Now. That's what that's I mean. That's where I'm going to. So like we got a Peloton and for me, the Peloton is my like 20 to 30 minutes of self-care. Cause it feels like I can be in my own little bubble and do this thing. That's hard, but hard in a different way from what we do here. And you get, I get like the endorphins of cardio work stuff that I, I really miss sweating, like in a class mm-hmm. full of people, that kind of stuff. And so for me, that helps put my my mind right um as opposed to like more quiet self-care that maybe other times in my life has been more helpful like i kind of need that little that little upper as self-care right now as opposed you, you to need that spark i do need that spark a little bit the spark I can... to light the revolution sure yeah and that's, like that's... To, i'd say you like you love cooking and baking and i think that's it so i do i find that uh, stuff cathartic care too because yeah. i like to play that's my like, guitar and stuff so yeah. i think of like you're always whisking some deliciousness in the kitchen and so i think it you know, I think you could have your own spot. I'm, I do. I do like that too. Yeah. I just don't think I have as many, like, I don't like to like take a long bubble bath or like, you know, I just feel, I think that self, I think self-care sometimes it's like, oh, it's all like calm and maybe it is, but depending on your natural disposition, maybe you need a little bit more up to balance out more of that like kapha energy and vice versa. So you feel like you're kind of hitting that mm-hmm. midline, which is what usually I'm going for with self-care is like some sort of homeostasis. Like mm-hmm. it's easy to just get caught in a, a without that spark right now so for me that that makes a big difference i think baths are amazing if you don't have to do them all the time like so when i hurt my foot and the only oh and that was your only option (laughs) was to take a bath i was like dude this is so much like this takes so so i just always think i want to take i know you really like baths Mm -hmm. but like from in my head i'm like yeah that sounds so relaxing and then i do it and i get in there and i'm like all right, I'm good. Like, like, you know I, mean? I, and I feel like I got to take a shower afterwards and like yeah. wash off the bath and maybe I just, it doesn't, I don't know. I do. I, I, I have it all set up though. Like, I mean, I like really making an experience. Like I don't just go in there and like just sit in water. Although sometimes I do. I am kind of weird like that. Like in the morning, if I'm feeling a little tight, like I'm up early, like I'll go take a nice warm bath. <laughs> but you know, it depends on the day. Especially if, maybe if your heat's a little bit low. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you currently don't really have a lot of heat in the house. You know, it's a way to really get warm in the body, especially get your day going and like waking up freezing. <laughs> um, no, but like I really like light some candles, try to set the mood so like the tones relax. I got a little salt lamp, and then if I can, like your eyes adjust if you like to read. Like you can pop open a little book, maybe a little glass of wine. Like if it's an evening time. Five in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Okay. On no. Wednesdays. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I watched like Wednesday. half a season of Buffy in the tub once, yeah. like while well, I was pregnant. Where's we were out of town. <laughs> My most most productive bath was like put the laptop up and watched a few episodes of Buffy a couple yeah. days. Have you ever had had found a glass of wine left over from the night before that was yours, of course, and drank it? Oh, uh, a wounded soldier? No, next day. Now, like next morning, you saw it be like, oh, no, I didn't drink this. No, but I did do that with a spin drift this morning with a sparkling water that was no longer sparkling, and I was like, well, I'm thirsty. Yeah, <laughs> I've done that before too. How thirsty are you if you're drinking not? No more caffeine. I mean, honestly, I'm never satisfied by it, but I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to waste it. It was water. It yeah. was water. It was It was a positive, not a negative. So, you know, <laughs> just, just take what you can sometimes. Though, when you go pick up a can of sparkling, you're like, oh, man. Oh, well. You know, yeah, it's like, <laughs> the sparkles are gone. Well, I am thirsty. I'm like, this is easier than or going to get warm. a fresh cup. Yeah. just like, Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Does carbonated water actually get warm though? Like, I feel like we have some that just like sit out for extended periods of time <laughs> on accident and they're still cold. 
Uh, I think it, that's the myth of like the carbonation. It probably yeah, just feels probably. bubbly. Mm-hmm. What does Harvey call it? Uh, sparkly water. Sp- sparkly water and bubbles, bubbles on the tongue. Bubbles on the tongue. Bubbles on the tongue. Sparkly water feels yummy in the tummy. Yeah, yummy in the difference. tummy and bubbles on the tongue. I think it's the <laughs> yeah. bubbles on the tongue that just mistake for, for cold. Yeah. Okay, what's your, let's, let's wrap today with what's your handstand recovery? The biggest thing you want to think about when it comes to recovery for your handstand practice is just to acknowledge where you are in the process. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when you first start learning handstand, it's all strength work because you don't have any skill. Yes. So the, there's a wobble all the time. You're falling constantly. <laughs> you're jumping constantly. You're getting nowhere constantly. And then eventually you get somewhere, you know? And uh, once you get somewhere, once you have a little bit of balance, there's days when you can work strength and there's days when you can work skill. But the fir- as you're beginning that process, you want to remember that if your balance is still pretty inconsistent, and by that I mean you can't hold like a 30 second handstand kind of whenever you want to, mm-hmm. there you're always overworking the position. And that means that you are going to always have fatigue from being in the position. But once you have the skill where you're not overworking a 30 second handstand, then you can have times where you're you say you could pretty much practice handstand every single day, but there's some days where you're working a strength or a conditioning mm-hmm. aspect and other days where you're working a skill and a proprioception aspect. And that's something that I really try to play with in the handstand classes. And you'll see them switch all the time. Like this week was so much more about proprioception and shape upside down, which subconsciously had an element of conditioning in it, but it was really more about coordination. Whereas other days, like when we were doing the handstand to crow stuff or the jumping from dolphin pose into handstand, there's a level of strength that's involved in that process uh, that you have to acknowledge. I think that's a good point that oftentimes we think of practices like handstands or inversions as just brute strength practices that like I need to be stronger. This is just physically exhausting. But when you take a handstand class that's much more proprioception based or coordination based, you may not be as physically tired, but you might be more mentally tired, Mm -hmm. right? Like exhausted, gassed after just like working so hard to like stay focused to to persevere as opposed to one that's a little bit more circuit based or you're doing a lot more of the conditioning, like in the handstand practice path, there's a strict conditioning video. Uh, That's the kind of thing where maybe you're, it's more like, not, I don't want to call it dumb strength, but like you're just in the body more than you're trying to also get no, totally. the brain and, and nervous system wrapped around it. So I think it's like a, it's a different kind of fatigue and a different kind of recovery required um, or maybe less required depending on what type of handstand practice or where you are along the journey. Yeah, I, I think it really helps uh, as you begin to just acknowledge where you are in the process because it's going to give you that perspective on where your baseline is and where you can work from. So. One of the goals I think that's really nice to set out for yourself is the five 30-second handstands. Mm -hmm. Once you can get to that level consistently, your handstand practice can have skill days. And then when you can have skill days, you can, you know, be upside down, work a leg variation. You're doing a 20-second handstand, you're coming down. That's not really pushing your capacity. Do you know what I mean? And then you can have other days where you're doing way more stuff that's focused on straight arm strength, that's focused on holding for time and things like that. Any thoughts? Mm. All right. I think you no. got it. Oh, well, thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got it. 
All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening, for watching, for tuning in. Um, we'll be at fun with this chat and uh, send in more questions. You can go ahead and just comment below as well. We can grab questions from there. You can also send them in if that's where you feel more comfortable. And we will look forward to chatting with y'all uh, next week. Have an amazing rest of your day. We look forward to seeing you on the mat. And remember, all of these podcasts, if you want to listen to them in just audio format, they will be coming out on the following Mondays. Mm -hmm. Uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, but mainly Spotify and Apple. Yep. So cool. Catch y'all next week. Peace.